I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Jerry Wilson. Jerry is a seventh generation Mississippian. She grew up in the red clay hills of the North. Her novel, That Pinson Girl, is forthcoming from Regal House Publishing on February 6, 2024. Her debut short fiction collection, Cross Currents and Other Stories, was nominated for the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters Fiction Award. A Story Lifeline was a finalist in December Magazine's Kurt Johnson Prose Award for Fiction and was published in December Magazine in the spring of 2023. Her short fiction has been published in numerous other journals. Jerry has a Substack publication, Stories I'm Old Enough to Tell, where she writes about her journey to publication and reveals tidbits about that Pinson girl. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you, Kara, so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm glad to have you. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are? Well, you've hit the basics in the bio. I am a seventh generation Mississippian, not quite that far back on both sides of my family, but um, my roots go really deep here. Yeah. Um, I'm a late bloomer as a writer. I was a high school English teacher for a long time. And um, sort of early on in my teaching career, I was really troubled by the fact that we were asking kids to write sort of formulaic essays the five-paragraph essay was a big deal mm-hmm. in those days. And they learned to organize, which is a great skill to have. But it seemed to me that they were just lacking a voice. Yeah. Uh, they were not learning how to how to put their own expression to work on the page. And so in a kind of foolhardy way, I guess, I went to the school's administration and said, may I have a creative writing class? Would you let me have a class that's just teaching them to write nothing else from a creative standpoint. And I don't know what I thought the outcome of that would be, (laughs) but I said yes. And so I realized, okay, if I'm going to try to teach kids to write, then I better learn something about it myself. Yeah. um, I did some really good workshops, one in particular for teachers at Bard College that was just invaluable. And um, I wrote along with the kids quite often because it just felt like it, it was setting an example sure. for them to do. Um, I didn't try to publish for a long, long time. And when I did, I was writing, early on, I was writing short stories. Um, and when I began to think about a novel, I was just in despair because I didn't think I could break out of that shorter form. I was so accustomed to that and I was comfortable with it. And one day my husband said, well, you know, a novel is just a longer story. (laughs) Um, He's a college professor. He was an English professor. Okay. And a poet. And so it was sort of oversimplifying, but it was true. Um, A novel is basically a story where you have more room to explore different aspects of plot and you can go deeper into character and you can enrich setting. There are just all kinds of things that you can do in a novel that you can't do within the confines of a story. And I imagine that sitting down to write a novel at that stage, right? It does seem like an incredibly daunting task. I have never written a novel. So I feel like if I were to sit down and think in that terms, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like how it just seems like climbing the tallest mountain in the world to do that. Well, I'm not a I'm not someone who plans plans a story out. Okay. I mean, I'll have an idea for a story, but basically I just I just write. Yeah. See where it goes and that probably makes it a lot more complicated and a more extended process than it would be if I was able to outline and say, okay, I want to start here. I want this to happen and this to happen and this to happen. And ultimately this is how I want it to end. I do frequently have some sense of where I want the story to wind up, but I'm not sure (laughs) how I'm going to get there. 
and that's just um, that's just the way I work. Um, and that is pretty daunting, yeah, I guess, and probably makes for more revision than I might do otherwise. I've been known to go down some rabbit trails that I need not go down and have to back away and decide that's not really the way I want the story to go. Sure. Yeah, I'm thinking as you were talking, you know, back to, like you said, teaching kids to write in a five paragraph format, that is what I learned. And I remember not really enjoying writing because it feels like you're trying to stuff things into a box to fit it, right? Like this needs to fit the intro. This needs to fit your three your three points. And I just, like you said, there was, wasn't much allowance, I guess, for creativity. You, I mean, you're writing and you're thinking and you're doing, but the creativity, I've always felt like I'm like, well, I feel like I'm just forcing things onto the page and to fit into whatever section it needs to fit in. Right. And it has its place. And as yeah. I said, it's a great organizational tool. Um, students need to learn how to organize material and it's good for that. But I just really felt they were missing a lot. Um, I remember when I first started teaching creative writing, uh, the ninth grade English teacher was a stickler for the five paragraph essay. Okay. And the kids would come to me just, if I said, you don't have to do that, it was like, what? You mean we don't have another way to do this? And there was, and we would ease into it. And I, I would start by giving them examples of different, even essays, longer essays with some personality that were not confined to just that spitting out of facts. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, and it was really, it was eye-opening for them. And it was eye-opening for me. Yeah. Well, I love that you were learning along with them in that process. Yeah. Where do you get your ideas for what you write? Sometimes it's a memory. Sometimes it's a, it's an artifact. Um, sometimes it's it's a a person I've observed. Um, for example, in that Pinson girl, um, Leona, the teenage girl who gives birth to a child out of wedlock, is modeled on a young woman who lived down the street from us when I was growing up. Um, nobody ever talked about it and when I asked questions I got sort of non-answers but she lived with her son and her mother and they were very much ostracized yeah they were just isolated in the community and um, I figured out ultimately you know what was going on that that she had this this son um, outside of marriage and that was just back in those days it was really taboo so that was sort of the inspiration for Leona for the main character in the book um, the novel is dedicated to my maternal grandmother okay she was so influential um, in my life and had a terribly hard life herself um, she only went through the eighth grade she grew up so far out in the country in the hills of North Mississippi that that was, that was all that was available to her. And she never wanted people to know that. She was always embarrassed by the fact that she was not, not better educated. But she was incredibly smart yeah. and very creative. Uh, she could grow absolutely anything. She was a terrific storyteller. She was sort of the keeper of, of family stories. And in fact, her story of her father's death, um, she always told the story that he was killed in a hunting accident that they were not sure was an accident. You know, it could yeah. have been murder. And that figures in the novel, Leona's father in an accident. Um, I have this wonderful artifact um, related to my maternal granddaddy who went to France in World War I just very briefly. And after he got home, he got a letter, a little, little tiny thing. It's no more than maybe four inches long, the envelope, three by, about three by four inches. A letter that had followed him from New York all the way to France. Wow. 
and all the way back to Springville, Mississippi, which was just a wide place in the road. Okay. You know, just the post office. Um, it was written by a young woman he met in New York City on his way over. Wow. And she wrote the letter on Armistice Day. And she describes people in the streets of New York celebrating. It is the most wonderful little piece of history. Um, and the novel is set during World War One. Okay. Um, there are unmailed letters that play an important part in the novel. Uh, the young man that um, who's the father of Leona's child goes off to war without realizing she's pregnant. Okay. And there's uh, that inability to communicate that's that's an important part of the story but anyway um I think a lot of my stories arise out of place yeah. I don't think I could have I've written other stories not set in obviously in the hills of North Mississippi sure. but the story just felt organic to the place it's beautiful but it's harsh yeah, um, it's a hard place for people to make a living, especially back in those days. Sure. Um, well, that I am very intrigued. I feel like I'm like, oh, this will be the next book I'm picking up because I historical fiction is my go to genre. Um, really? Yeah. And I sometimes feel like we get mired in or I do in like the World War Two genre. But I would love to read one set in World War One. There, there were a huge number of really good World War II novels. Yes. Over the years, yeah, they are excellent. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I just need like a palate, you know, a palate cleanser almost because they are heavy at the same token. And my husband is in the, the Navy. And I, I've thought about this often when he's out on deployment, the ease of communication. And so I, you know, I always think about back to back in the day, when you had to send letters and you had to wait for a letter to come back. And I thought about that when he was deployed in 2020, you know, it wasn't as reliable. I couldn't always talk to him, but I'm like, but at least it's not a letter getting maybe lost in the mail or lost in translation or, you know, or even um, my first husband went to Vietnam Okay, and we had three little children at the time. Yeah. And uh, we, we communicated by radio phone. Wow. And it was so hard because relayed somewhere in the Pacific and then and then to the United States. And um half the time I couldn't hear him and he couldn't hear me. And and there was always there were delays, there was static. Yeah. Uh, it was more frustrating, I think, than anything. So yeah. Yeah. and then to have your children try to hear the conversation, right? Especially when they're small, they don't have the patience to wait for that. Yeah, and he would send us uh, cassette tapes. He would mail tapes that I could play for the children. Yeah. So we've come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay, so listeners, we have That Pinson Girl by Jerry that you could check. Well, it's not coming out yet, right? I have to wait till February 6th. Right, February okay. 6th is Tuesday, but it's available to pre-order. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Pre-orders are important. I didn't realize that. When yeah. I Okay, so where can we pre-order, just so we can tell the listeners? You could pre-order from Amazon, or you okay. can pre-order from the publisher, Regal House Publishing. Okay. Noble. Um, I expect the listeners are familiar with bookshop.org. Yeah. Where the sales go through your a local bookstore that you designate. Yes. The character that the indie bookstores provide to our shopping, right? And I, I, anytime I can go to the independent bookstore, I'm like, that's where I'm headed. Well, that's what we have in Mississippi is we have several really good independent bookstores. Yeah. Uh, there's one here in Jackson, Lemuria, that I just did a, an interview with the owner. Lemuria will be 50 years old in 2025. Okay. I just interviewed John and uh, the Regal House Publishing is going to publish that on there on their blog yeah they have a book bound blog where they feature indie bookstores which is a really great great relationship for an indie publisher to have with with bookstores yeah 
Yeah, we are. We're blessed to have quite a few here in San Diego as well. Because of my little kids, sometimes, you know, shopping with three little kids, I'm like, oh, okay. So I've only, I haven't even hit all of the ones in the area, but we're, we're slowly going along. Yeah. Check them all out. Because they all have their own, like I said, their unique character to them. They do. They do. And that's one thing. Um, there are a lot of days when I have to say I'm not proud to be a Mississippian. Um, I'm sure you're probably aware that Jackson has been in the news for a lot of the wrong reasons with infrastructure yeah. issues and crime. And um, But we love Jackson. And uh, so I'm happy that we have a, this wonderful literary tradition yeah. that we're proud of. And that's really, I was thinking earlier, I was thinking about this, this very question. Um, maybe it's because this is such a complicated place that it lends itself to, to storytellers yeah there's a lot of material. Mm -hmm. <laughs> material and stories help us make sense of it right do help us make sense of things when yeah. maybe we can't otherwise yeah yeah well i love that thank you for sharing i have never been to mississippi but you know in my mind i ha i we love traveling and so we're using not using the military, but as we move around, it's like, okay, the next place we live, we kind of see, try to see all the states around that area and travel and explore. Yeah. So, well, and then I have a couple other questions before we get over to who you are as a reader, but what have you learned about yourself through writing? Oh my goodness, that's a hard one. Um, I learned that I could do it for one thing. Love that. Uh, because well, I, I was always a reader from the time I was very small. Yeah. Which of course, predated television. I think we got our first television when I was 10 or 11 years old. Okay. Um, so reading was always important to me and my parents valued it for me. They made, they read to me and they made sure that I had books. Yeah. Um, but the writing part of it um, I wrote a little mystery story when I was eight years old and my dad took it to his friend, the druggist, the local druggist, who was a, a sort of a mystery buff. He loved okay. mystery books. And um, he was the father of one of my best friends. And when Mr. Francis liked it, I was just over the moon. I thought that was just the highest praise. But then yeah. he had the street cred being the mystery guy. <laughs> but I think I did what so many young people do still. Um, they become overwhelmed by just doing the work they have to do. You do the writing that's required. Yeah. And uh, unless you happen to have access to a creative writing class. So I have a grandson who's um, doing a fiction workshop at Ole Miss right now with Tom Franklin and just loving it. Yeah. So there are lots of opportunities now that I didn't have. Yeah. Uh, what else did I learn about myself? Um, it's interesting the things that I reveal in characters that I might not reveal about myself. Okay. Just one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. In a conversation with you, so. Yeah. Um, I've written a couple of, I'm an only child, and I've written a couple of novels about sisters in very difficult relationships. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that says <laughs> about, about me, because I was your classic sort of spoiled only child. Yeah. I always, I am always very interested in sibling dynamics because I did not have that. And my first career was I was a physical therapist. And so I feel like when I'd be sitting with patients for 45 to 60 minutes, a lot of times I would be asking them about their family and who they were. And it always, those sibling dynamics intrigued me. And even now with my husband, I'll be like, is this how siblings behave? Like, cause I do have three kids myself. Right. And I'm like, is this normal? And he'll be like, yep. Total sibling relationships, you know, but I'm like, I didn't have that. Yeah, we, we, we missed out on that. And I have four sons. Okay. And that was awakening. Yeah. Um, 
I remember walking and crying with the first little one when he cried because I just didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. Um, but and but after the second boy, I was just a boy mom, and I, I sort of knew that was the way it was going to be. Yeah. You have to embrace the chaos in that role because I have two boys. So. Yeah. You have to. That's a good way to put it. You have to embrace the chaos, and get to the point where you're not you have to keep the house picked up and you have to do certain things but you can't just uh agonize over whether you have a spotless house yeah 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 it's never gonna happen <laughs> no probably not okay well and then lastly um what do you wish you would have known when you first started writing that you do now I wish I had been more patient. Um, uh, maybe patient is not the right word. Maybe realistic. Okay. In terms of expectations, I think early on. Um, well, I'm. I was naive. I would not have thought that it would take me twenty twenty five years to get published. Yeah. Novel particularly, not that I was that confident that I was that I was a good writer. Mm -hmm. I just I didn't understand what the publishing business was like. Yeah, and I had to work through um, one really difficult period in particular when I, I had an agent at one point, and I was so thrilled to get an agent. Get I've got an agent. Mm -hmm. yeah. It sounds um, promising. Yeah that um there were some red some flags that i should have noticed mm -hmm. and didn't and um he just basically ghosted me mm. um and it was really to go from that kind of high yeah with that kind of optimism maybe this is going to happen you know with mm -hmm. a good um to the low of, of that relationship just going away was really really hard and I didn't write much for a couple of years yeah after that and and I wish I had not allowed it to impact me in that way but um I continued to write short fiction and I have a couple of other novels in the drawer okay but um it was back during COVID that I was feeling just sort of desperate for something to do and yeah. this story that Pinson girl that was called Spirit Light then um, just really kept nagging at me. Um, and I knew, or I thought I knew that it had greater potential than I had been able to, to develop it so far. Sure. And so I finally gave into that urge and I pulled it back up and it was like doors began to open. Yeah. That I couldn't see when I'd put it away maybe three or four years before. Yeah. I began to see. And it in some really interesting ways. And then the next step with that was to um, poll some friends about um, really sound independent publishers. Yeah. And to avoid the whole agent route. Yeah. And so that's how I wound up with Regal House. Wow. Um, and they celebrate their 10th year in the spring next year. They're doing okay. really well. Yeah. So I'm proud to be a part of that. Yeah. The more I do this show and just hear the journey that you and the other writers have had to go through, it's pure admiration on my end that you have the perseverance of spirit to stick with it. It's hard. Yeah. It'd be hard. And and I mean, I get rejections all the time. Yeah. And everyone stings a little bit, but you get X number of rejections on one piece. And then you start to think, well, hmm, you know, what do I need to, how do I need to look at this? Yeah. Or maybe sending it to the wrong places. There's always that too. You yeah. need to be careful that you send your work. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. Do you do um, 
as you're now sending it out, are, do you do research to who you're sending these out to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good piece of advice. Time consuming, but but you really need yeah. to do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for that last little bit of advice there. Let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about who you are as a reader. What genres do you enjoy? I read mostly literary fiction, um, contemporary voices. I, I love um, Celeste, I don't know how you pronounce her name, Ng or Neg. Yeah. In mm -hmm. Yes. In yep. Um, I love Geraldine Brooks's historical fiction. Yeah. I've read almost all of her books, and I really enjoy her a lot. I like Jessamyn Ward. I like Barbara King Sauber. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Strout. Um, I could I could go on. There are others, yeah. but uh, those are probably my my favorites. Yeah, your auto buy authors there. No, yeah, I know that I'm going to read it. Oh, Anne Patchett. That reminded me, Anne yes. Patchett. Is another beautiful author i really like her i'm reading uh, tom lake right now yes i know that has been on my list since it came out I haven't got there yet it's good i yeah. like it do you write daily oh i wish i were that disciplined and, okay you know, with the book and trying to figure out marketing and publicity and sure uh, all of that is really my writing has suffered yeah because of it um and, and it's, it's just a necessary part of what we're doing. And I'm thrilled to be able to do it. But um, it really has cut into my writing time. Um, and I've done things like I started the Substack. And yeah. well, if you start a Substack, then you've got to try to maintain it. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to do that just about every couple of weeks. Um, I'm working on a couple of essays right now that... Um, I want to submit sort of as not about the book, but as, as companion pieces, mm -hmm. or sort of offshoots of the fictional story. Yeah. Um, so there's that kind of writing that, that needs to be done. Um, I am working on um, a collection of stories set on an Island off the coast of Georgia. Okay. That um, I really enjoyed working on, but I have, maybe three or four that I consider really finished and uh, four or five more that that still needs some work. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a uh, author email me back recently and she's like, I'm so sorry. It's taken me so long to get back to you. I, and she used the spinning plate analogy, you know, like we have all, I have all these plates spinning and I was thinking, <laughs> my goodness, because I do feel the same, even in the podcast world, right. Of like, I'm a one woman show over here. So it, it I, to what you're saying, I feel the same. It's like, I don't want to start spinning a plate until I know I can devote the time for it and do it well. And I imagine, you know, it's the marketing and the advertising and it's all of it. And so I feel what you're saying in a different capacity as a podcaster. And it's, it's pretty much up to the author to do most of that. And yeah. if you spend a lot of money on a publicist, maybe not, Yeah. but um, if you can't, then um, it's sort of a steep learning curve to figure out what what you can do on your own, which is fine. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Uh, and then it's navigating what's worth spending your time on too, right? Because there are so many options you could do. Well, you have been so gracious to prepare a book flight for us today as well. Can you tell us a little bit how they pair together? Well, I was thinking about... Um, I was a little intimidated by the book flight at first, and I thought, oh, so many books, so little time, you know, yeah. how do you narrow this down? And then I decided that I wanted to do women authors, and then it occurred to me that um, there might be a lot of your listeners who are not familiar with the Mississippi writing tradition. Yes. So I sort of zeroed in on three Mississippi writers who are women okay uh, different different generations so they share a kind of mississippi sisterhood if you want to call it that in terms of uh, I their love writing it. but i also realized i was looking back today at these books that they um uh, they also share themes of family 
and particularly of motherhood and mothering and uh, distant or absent mothers. And that resonates with me because Leona Pence's mother is very troubled. Okay. So without planning it that way, I, I think maybe my novel sort of falls into that tradition as well. Yes. Oh, that is great. And I am definitely not familiar with uh, the Mississippi writing tradition. So I am very intrigued to learn more about it today. What is the first book of the pairing? The first book of the pairing is actually a book of short stories by Eudora Welty. Okay. Uh, Miss Welty, Miss Eudora, as she's known, okay. known as here, um, was a wonderful writer of fiction. Um, she, I want to say she won the Pulitzer. I should have researched that a little bit. I don't want to um, speak out of turn on that, but she um, won a lot of accolades in her in her day, and she's considered one of the great classic okay. short stories, particularly. Uh, the book I chose is her first collection called A Curtain of Green, and it's fairly typical of her short story writing um, they're very much a product of her time. And so um, on the surface, they do seem really Southern and they, they sound Southern. Okay. I think if you, when you read the stories to get to the heart of what she's saying, then you'll be both entertained and enlightened. Um, her stories have a lot of depth to them. Um, what I thought I would do is talk about one story in particular that's one of my one of my favorites, and that's a story called A Worn Path. Okay, that's perfect. Really, my first exposure to this story was, uh, I think, in an 11th grade literature anthology. It was there uh, for me to try to teach to high school students. Okay. And uh, I have to say, I had not read much of Welty before then, but I was really taken with this particular story. Um, it's a really poignant and moving piece. It's it's resonant issues of love and sacrifice and determination, but also there are those really difficult issues of uh, racism and marginalization and cruelty. Um, it's a story about an elderly African-American woman named Phoenix Jackson. Okay makes this difficult journey by foot up through this rural, very rural area to town to buy some kind of medicine for her little grandson who has swallowed lye wow. and almost destroyed his throat. Um, and we learn in the course of the story that Phoenix has made this journey over and over and over again. And she'll continue to do so. And so I have to say something about the title, A Warm yeah. Path. Yes. So speaks to that. Um, it's interesting that some critics have raised the question about whether her little grandson has already died. And she continues to make the journey out of habit. And out okay. of memory, which I think is... That's an interesting theory, but I don't think we necessarily have to go there. Yeah. In order to appreciate this this story. Um, it's, it's so much more, it's about so much more than a grandmother's love for her little grandson. It's about the difficulties of this old woman's life. Yeah. And her and her spirit. She has such an enduring spirit. And she has there's a wonderful voice. She has such a wonderful voice in the story because she sees things along yeah. the way. And she expects a ghost to jump out from behind a tree. Okay. Um, there's one thing about wealthy stories is they're almost always tinged with humor. Okay. But there's this underlying depth. Yeah. And that makes it such a an interesting balance. Um in, in almost all of her work. That's amazing that she could strike both chords of that. She could, she could, she could do that. She could do that really well. Um, and so she's my classic. Okay. She was almost a contemporary of William Faulkner's. Wow. 
just a, a little bit younger than William Faulkner. Yeah. So that's the other Mississippi great going going back in yes. time. Yeah, I have a Century of Great Books challenge that I'm doing just personally on my own where I'm reading a book from each year for the past 100 years. And I believe I have a Eudora Welty on there, but I can't remember which title I have and what year it is, but it is on my list. Well, this was published in 1941. Some of the stories were copyrighted before that. Okay. And she continued to write and work into the 60s, well into the 60s, yeah. I think. Well, I'll have to email you. When we get off, I'll go look. I have a spreadsheet on my computer to help me keep track. And I've been rating them and keeping little notes because I wanted to see because it has introduced me to so many books that I don't know that I would have ever picked up, right? Because I'm trying to be very intentional about getting one from each year. And it's quite a project. Yeah, I think it's I'm a year and a half in. So it's been taking me a little bit, but I'm slowly but steadily working and through it. And podcast. I don't know how you do it. Well, I got to be able to talk about books on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I wonder if it's uh, Losing Battles is one of her novels. Okay. I believe it was a, a collection of short stories was the one I have on there. So um, is there one like that's called The Collected Stories of Eudora Welty? It's probably a collected volume. Okay. That might be what I have on there because that's what's ringing a bell right now, yeah. but I'll email you. I'll get back to you. <laughs> I'm going blank about the titles of her other collections. Yeah. But um, but yes, to your point, I don't know if you used this in motherhood, but books are my way of grounding myself in the day, right? Like if the world is chaotic in here, the kids go take a nap or have a quiet time and I pick up my book and that is my way to like kind of ground back in to myself and put my feet back on the ground and have 20 minutes of just a woosah moment, you know, a just calming moment. Sure. So that's necessary. Good for you. Thank you. So, okay, well, what is the second book of our pairing today? The second book of our pairing is Jessamyn Ward's Sing Unburied Sing. Um, Jessamyn Ward is not quite a native Mississippian, but she moved to the Gulf Coast with her family when she was about three years old. Okay. And she still lives in a little tiny town called Delisle okay. on the Gulf Coast. And um, her novels are set on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Um, Sing Unburied Sing is the most recent before the one that has just come out called Let Us Descend. Yes that I'm not sure about the setting. I haven't started it yet, but it's about a slave girl before the Civil War. Yeah. And so it's more historical than her novels generally are. Okay. But um, Jessamyn Ward has won the National Book Award twice. Um, wow. For the first novel called Salvage of Bones in 2011, and then in 2017 for the novel I'm gonna talk about. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Yeah. Oh, she's she's amazing. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the book. Yes, please. Thing on buried saying, Jojo and his little sister are living with their grandparents on a farm on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, and sometimes with their mother Leone, who is in and out. Um, Leone is an addict. She's very troubled. So she's not, she's not a steady presence in the children's lives, and she's also um, tormented and and comforted by visions she has of her dead brother. Wow! But those visions only come to her when she's high, and so does she welcome the visions or does she not? Oh, okay. The grandmother, JoJo's grandmother is dying of cancer and the grandfather is doing all he can to try to hold the household together and teach JoJo how to be a man. Wow. Um, and when the, the white father of Leone's children is released from prison, she sets out with a friend and their kids, packs them all into the car and sets out on this trek across almost the length of Mississippi to Parchland Farm, which you may have heard about. That's the Mississippi State Penitentiary who's okay. been a long time. And it's a very dangerous journey. Um, 
Ward's themes are dark. Yeah. Um, she engages with some really ugly truths about power and injustice and um, really complicated bonds of family. But she does it in language that is absolutely poetic. And there are touches of magical realism in this book that I was not prepared for. It made it okay. a little difficult for me. Sure. But it's well worth, it's well worth a read. Any, any of her books are, I think. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that because she is an author. I have heard her name mentioned multiple times and I can say that I haven't picked up her book yet, but I was just telling Jerry before we got on this call, listeners, if you don't know yet, if you happen to have a Spotify premium account, they just added audiobooks are included with your membership that you pay. And I just, they've had audiobooks on there for a long time, but you had to pay an additional fee for them. And I was like, well, I have an Audible account. It's like, I don't need two. So I, but I just went on yesterday and I happened to notice a thing popped up saying, audiobooks now available. And I was like, oh. so I go and I click on it and they have over 200,000 titles for free included with your membership. And I was like, hallelujah. I was in the garage. We have a gym out there. And I'm like doing a little happy dance in the garage by myself and um, it actually, Jessamyn Ward, her newest one was the book I chose to download. And I'm just currently finishing my other audiobook, but I'm it, that is in the queue for my next book to read. So what a small world that you're talking about it today. Up next, up next for me too. Yes. Okay. So that was Sing Unburied Sing by Jessamyn Ward. And then what is the last book of the pairing today? The last book of the pairing is uh, Katie Simpson Smith's first novel, the story of land and sea. Okay. Um, Katie Smith is is the youngest of the three writers. I'm not sure that she and Jessamyn Ward are a generation apart quite, but okay. Katie Katie represents today for me the youngest generation. And of course, there are others like um, Angie Thomas yeah. has been a wildly successful. Yeah. Uh, Angie is a Mississippi writer. Okay, I didn't um, know she was from there. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, the, the stories are in the blood some way. Yeah. Wow. Um, but Katie's book, and, and I will say it's a shame to have to single out one younger author, but um, because there's several we could talk about. Katie was born and grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Um, she has an MFA from Bennington and a PhD from UNC Chapel Hill. Um, Katie's novels so far are historical novels and they are absolutely meticulously researched. But she does such a remarkable job of weaving the details into the fiction yeah. that um, they feel just entirely organic to the work, at least for me they do. It's, it's not like she's giving me a paragraph of background to um, pre-revolutionary war times, which is when this novel is set. Um, they are couched in such a tightly woven story and told in such beautiful language that um, they're just a part, of, a part of the work and she does a great job of that. So if your uh, listeners are fans of historical fiction, I highly recommend her. That's me. Um, and I love learning about history in this format. That is why I love historical fiction because it's pairing thing, pairing events in time that maybe I heard about back in school, right? But when you read it in the form of a story or in literature, how much more meaningful that becomes or you can place that in your brain and I'll always remember from the books I've read these historical events where when I had to memorize verbatim for history class to pass the test, it's like it didn't stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the power of story. Yeah. It's yeah. the power. Really well, yes, this will definitely be on my list as well. So this was the story of land and sea by Katie Simpson Smith. And how I like to end our show here is with our bonus pairings, which are just a speed round of questions. So you can answer these really quick. Where is your favorite place to read? Um, in this chair where I am right now, which has been my nest for reading and writing 
um, recently. Yeah. I, I love that. It looks better, very cozy. <laughs> better posture if I worked at a desk, maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. Okay. As long as you have a good setup, my PT brain is like, as long as you have a good setup for your computer, you could sit in any chair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this is away from, sit the back of the house is sort of away from things. So. Yeah. Not not too close to the kitchen. It keeps me from snacking too. Always a good thing. <laughs> okay. What is one book you have read that has changed your life? Oh my goodness. Um that's a hard one. I think maybe a fairly recent book was Colin McCann's um, A Paragon. Okay. A-E-I-R-O-G-O-N. Okay. My oldest son actually gave me that book a couple of years ago for my birthday. It's a big, big, fat book, and he highly recommended it, and i when I got around to reading it, I could see why. Yeah. Um, and it's particularly important right now with uh, things happening in the Middle East the way they are. Okay. McCann has, the book has, the novel has two storylines, basically. And one is about an Israeli man who suffered a terrible loss at the hands of terrorists. Yeah. And the other storyline is about a Palestinian man. Yeah. And there is so much humanity in this novel. It was, it's, it's not an easy read particularly, sure. but it is humanity on its deepest level. Yeah. And I just, as I said, I read it maybe a couple of years ago, but um, it really was, it really had an impact yeah. on me. And I but um, it doesn't read or feel like fiction. Yeah. Taking away all the trappings of government and, sure. and you've come down, there again, you've come down to the stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the empathy comes in, right? And how books connect us is we learn about other people's stories. And so it, it almost levels the playing field where we can let people in, right? You can see the humanness in one another. Yeah. Beautiful. So, okay. So definitely adding that one to my list as well. My list is growing today. I love it. Um, next question. Are you a rereader? I'm not much of a rereader. Um, I have good intentions. <laughs> um, I've been thinking lately that uh, the other books that were really impactful on me in my life were a couple of Faulkner novels. Yeah. Uh, Absalom and Absalom and Light in August. Okay. Just terrific. Those books may be 75 years old, but they just speak to the heart of the difficulties of um, racial relations and family relationships and hardship and poverty. And uh, they're just wonderful books. So one of these days, maybe next summer. Okay. Things settle down a little bit. I, I would love to go back and do that. Yeah. After your book launch a little bit and let that calm down and then you can have some time back to yourself. And then last question here, what are you reading next? Um, well, I'm reading Tom Lake right now and Patch's book and next, um, I actually have it on my Kindle is Anne Napolitano's Hello Beautiful. Oh, yep. I just got that off my hold list at the library. It's on my, my evening yeah. stack. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I belong to um, a really savvy um, book group that some of those women have been together for four years, and I'm wow. I'm a newbie. I've only been a member for twenty. Um, I thought you were going to say one year, but here you're twenty. That's amazing. Uh, no, and and I'm I'm the new kid on the block, you know, at, at twenty years. Yeah. But um, we sort of hold each other accountable. We read some pretty challenging things, and then we read some things for. Them. Yeah. Yeah. I just got a book club started here. That's one of the ways I create community as I move with the military is creating a book club. And I'm happy to report I finally knew enough people locally to create a book club. And and we have actually, um, speaking of 
some difficult reads on our list. We have Demon Copperhead on our list for this oh, year. It's a, a terrific novel. Yeah, but it's a, I've heard it's a heavy topic. So it's a really heavy topic. It's just a heartbreaking mm -hmm. book, as yeah. so many so many great books are. They're yeah. heartbreaking on some level. They yeah. really stab your heart. Yeah. So that's that's our probably toughest read we have on the list for the year. But we, uh, I'm really excited. I'm just so excited that I knew enough people to ask to be part of a book club locally because I think it's there's something about that connection, right? Where like a Zoom call I've done, but you know when you have a local group that you can meet with, there's something special there. Special, really important. Yeah. Well, lastly, last question here. I know you said you've started an Instagram account. So how could the listeners find you? On Instagram, you want my username? Yes. Yeah, that would be great. It's Jerry Wilson underline writer. Okay. No periods or anything. No cap. Jerry with a G. G-E-R-R-Y. Perfect. Yeah. I'll have links to pre-order your book in the show notes as well. So listeners can do that. But I thank you so much for your time today for coming on the show. I know it's precious and I appreciate all that you've given me. You just made it so easy and so special. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Jerry Wilson and her book flight of books featuring the Mississippi Sisterhood of Writers. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information about today's book flight or other books that we talked about. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are reading next, especially if you have heard about it on the show, please tag us on Facebook or Instagram at bookishflights. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Your review not only helps the show, but it also helps the podcast to reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure you will not miss an episode. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.